Welcome to the Hustle System Podcast, where we dissect the patterns of success, failure, and uh, amazing experiences for some of my favorite people in the space of entrepreneurship, internet marketing, and all around people that are making an impact in the world. Today, we have Cody Wittick uh, with us today. Cody, thanks for uh, being here. Mikhail, it's, it's going to be fun. I'm excited. Thank you for having me. Totally, man. So um, Cody does something that's kind of interesting is, you know, influencer marketing is one of those things that a lot of big brands are trying to do, right? And so maybe what we'll do is uh, kick this off with a little bit of a tidbit on who you are and what is like the core USP of Cody as a person. If you were to USP yourself up as a little product, what would that look like? Yeah. So well, first off, uh, my agency, Kinship, um, we're an influence marketing agency, such as you've said, and we really specialize in identifying creators that convert. Um, and maybe we can get into that. Maybe we will, but really in a non-traditional sense, we don't have like a roster of influencers that we represent or we're motivated to get deals. Um, but we're really the matchmaker, um, like many agencies out there. Um, but our focus is much more on the redistribution of the content rather than their own distribution of the content themselves. Um, so we believe in a lot of different things, but um, yeah, that's kind of our, our core competencies, I guess you could say, or high level, what we believe. Um, and Cody, as an entrepreneur, I would say just disciplined and clear communicator. Um, if that was a product that I'd be selling. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, that, that, that works out. What, um, what led you here? What was the path that led you to this particular field of study or implementation, if you will, um, okay, how did you arrive at, you know, this particular implementation of deciding, Hey, I'm going to make my living doing this. How did, how did that? Go? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I, I have a very interesting journey. So we're actually going through the hiring process. We're hiring um, a couple of people at Kinship and really it's kind of one of the first unique experiences for me. Cause I never actually interviewed for much in my life before, uh, which is unique for like a business owner. You usually have this trajectory, right. Of um, kind of going through the steps and uh, maybe you're a marketing uh, major and then you got a, a couple of marketing jobs and then maybe you wanted to start your own thing. Um, but I did a long-term mission trip out of college and then I came back and was wondering what I wanted to do and um, kind of got grandfathered into a company called Kalo, which was like the creator of the silicone wedding ring. And I got in at the right time. Basically, they were going from one employee to 40 in a matter of a year. Um, and they were just starting their influencer program. And so I got to learn under a guy named who's now a quarterback guru, uh, Jordan Palmer, and uh, he's created quite the name for himself. And so I got to learn under him, all his connections, and he kind of raised me up. And so pretty soon I was running the influencer program, just a kind of a one man show. And because of the use case of something like a wedding ring, it became so it's such a wide ranging use case from nurses to NFL quarterbacks. And um, it, it gave me the experience to work with a variety of different industries, a variety of different people. Um, and so my time there at three or four years, I was like, Hey, I, I feel like I got experience enough to go out on my own and want to do this. What I've learned, take what I've learned and provide value to a, a bunch of different companies and industries. And um, so that was kind of my start, but circling back to now hiring, it's kind of like, I'm really actually going through the interview process as someone who's hiring talent compared to applying for jobs. But um, it's a unique thing that I've been reflecting on where it's like, man, I haven't even actually really done this, but I've been blessed to know a ton of, you know, different people within different markets, such as Jordan that I mentioned before. And I knew the co-founder of Kalo that, you know, kind of, I got grandfathered in. And so um, it goes back to relationships, right? Which I'm, I know you talk about a lot. Um, so that's kind of my journey that how I came to be. It's huge, man. Um, that's cool. Uh, let's look at uh, some of the influencers uh, that took part in uh, those Kalo uh, projects. I mean, I've got on my list like LeBron, Mike Trout, uh, Dale yeah. Jr. Uh, how involved were you in the procurement of getting those people involved? And uh, if directly, do you have maybe some tips? And if indirectly, what are maybe some things that you observed uh, that seemed to work for getting you know real proper A-listers to uh, yeah. even, even show interest in the brand? I was very involved and there's many more names. Um, there's names like Steph Curry and there's names like Bryce Harper. And we were definitely involved in heavy and athletics. And um, some of those names, like, you know, for LeBron, you know, he's obviously the biggest name on there. 
he was somebody that uh, we didn't directly connect with, but it was actually a teammate that I connected with who wasn't even on the same team at the time. Um, a guy named Isaiah Thomas, who was in the running for NBA MVP at the time. I met him at NBA All-Star Weekend and just struck up a relationship. And I could go off in a tangent on this one, but I built that relationship on giving and I, I wasn't, you know, I learned that, but so it wasn't something that just innate in me, but um, I'd like to think it is, but I, I just built that relationship on giving and not trying to exploit, you know, Hey, can, if I give you these rings, will you throw up a tweet or a post and right away? And so, you know, because I did that, I was able to have his phone number and I was able to check in. And so by the time a couple of years later, he was on the Cavs with LeBron and, sending him rings. He was able to, uh, pass the rings out to his team and LeBron was seen wearing the ring. And then we created a custom package for him and, you know, with James gang inscribed on the ring, which is what he often refers to as his family. And so there's all these pictures rolling in and obviously something with when you're an e-commerce brand, seeing a huge iconic name like that, wearing your product, uh, it can definitely establish credibility when you're going to retailers, um, when you're, you know, going to YouTube channels, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, and then Dale was, was somebody that we had a full year contract with, and that was definitely involved in all those negotiations. So across the board, there's, you know, there's people that we were seeding product to, and that was kind of the relationship. And there were people like Dale and our junior that we had a full year contract and, um, there's definitely contractual obligations on his end. And we had photo shoots and the whole nine, um, and then people in between, you know, like a Bryce Harper who kind of did a one-off thing, but he had a great relationship, but all of these things, all of those relationships. And this comes down to a core philosophy of just really in life, but also within influencer marketing It's just, and I said it earlier, just building that relationship on giving and not asking. And none of those things, a lot of them would, those relationships would not have happened without doing that, um, without really building that relationship on giving and just providing value, um, not trying to exploit them. And that's really still, sadly, that's what you see a lot of times when you're in, in the industry. But um, yeah, those are some of the, the stories that we got to get involved with, with some of those athletes. Yeah, that's powerful, man. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the messaging involved with that because, yeah. uh, you know, as, as your, your brand grows, um, I know I get hit with this a lot where, hey, let me give you this thing and you know there's going to be an ask. So uh, <laughs> myself, for example, I'm always inclined to just say no to all those right. things because I know there's right. going to be some ask. So how do you go about structuring the front end messaging on that? Um, yeah. to make them receptive to, uh, kind of accepting the gift. It's almost like, um, in relationships, it's like, if you can't be accepting of love, right. You're not going to have a good relationship. So it's almost like right. a little bit like that. Can you, t- um, can you speak a little bit to that? I think that'd be really interesting for the marketers uh, that are listening to right. tap into. Yeah. Great question. A perfect question because, um, I mean, internally, and this can be case by case in terms of what you're comfortable communicating, but a term that we've often phrased and used is just no strings attached. So me sending you a message of like, Hey, Mikhail, like we think you're perfect fit for our brand. We'd love to send you the product. No strings attached. We've just found that to be a phrase that's successful with terms of just relieving like, Oh, like, okay. I'm not like, there's no like catch at the end of this. And I relate a lot to dating is like the first date that you ask a girl out, um, you know, for us guys is if you're immediately asking them for them to buy dinner, she might say yes, <laughs> but the chances of a second date are going to be a little off and that, that could go into culture, but just to use the, the straight up parallel, um, that's what a lot of brands are doing. And so we don't do that and we don't believe in that. Um, sure. Like, could there be a potential motivation to work something out only if the influencer reciprocates only if they, you know, like are loving the product organically and authentically. Um, so I think how you craft your message is very important to your point and to your question is we use that phrase, no strings attached. It could be just simply, Hey, you know, we just want to get you the product because we think you're a perfect fit. Um, we would love just your feedback if that's it. Um, Cause I, I think influencers and I'm sure your influencers get hounded all day long by brands, you know, asking for something right up front. And we just believe if you provide value and if the product is providing value, that should be enough to start a relationship. And as things progress, it's just like any relationship as you continue to date, so to speak. Um, you know, there is a natural progression to as they like the product, as you really like the relationship, um, things can become contractual and you work something out. Um, 
And I just think that's the best way to go about it compared to just immediately asking for something right up front. Got it. And that makes a lot of sense and is, um, is very useful also for those of you that are listening that want to get hired to get to clients. Uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, when it comes to linear um, income growth, that's, you know, AKA ascending within an organization. Uh, that's one aspect right. when it comes to migrating across organizations, say going from earning, you know, 60 to 80,000 a year to 120 plus uh, this concept I find is very, very massive as far as providing value. Um, so for those of you that are listening, think of it uh, not just in the sense of providing product for influencers, but also, well, you have a mm-hmm. skill set. How can you utilize your skill set to create value for other people as well? Um, and 100%. yeah, I'd maybe like to, to pivot to that point, actually, um, for you, Cody, because uh, how do you go about leveraging your skill set and what is the skill set involved in this influencer acquisition and how does that help brands and what are some of the unique uh, components of it? Just to draw a parallel, right? With, with marketing, it's pretty clear, right? You, you create funnels, you, you, mm-hmm. you run traffic, you have email campaigns and you have this yeah. laundry list of things. Um, but with influencer marketing, I think it'd be interesting for people to hear what are the skills, how do you um, apply them? And then what is the kind of exponential boost um, and how you specifically yourself apply those skills? Yeah. And I would still just go back to, I think that because influencer, and I think what I understand from your question is just because it is human capital that you're dealing with and it's not just, you know, emails or a landing page or et cetera, you're dealing with humans at the end of the day. So that's why I make that comparison to dating at the end of the day um, is this is relationships. Some of this, it can't just be down to a formula where it's like reach out three times and then this person received product and then reach out three more times and then contract. Like it's just, these are human, human interactions. So that's why some of the time, like we can't be so formulaic with how these systems work. Um, but in the, in the sense that we like to think is we like to build that relationship on giving. And so we're doing mass outreach to influencers Um, and then we're identifying the best content creators. And so we're using those, uh, skill sets in terms of, you know, can they speak and sell product? And then we're repurposing content, you know, contracting with them to scale within the Facebook ad account specifically, but there are brands and our clients really like to see this content implemented into other areas as well, like email or on their landing pages. Um, but we like to work within Facebook and that's kind of the world that I came from and we run Facebook ad, ad accounts in, in-house. Um, but I would say that's kind of like the blueprint that we've set up. And, and there are things that you can do uh, with influencers when you're setting that up um, in terms of you know, getting back to them in terms of how you can connect with them, how you can eat, outreach to them, how they, uh, you know, answer you back, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but like I said at the beginning, there's, there's things that make it difficult because these are human to human interactions. Sure. Yeah. In some ways difficult and in some ways, um, perhaps more organic and more inspiring and actually more fluid, uh, rather than, you know, talking to robots, which isn't, which is no, <laughs> no fun for anybody. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. super huge. You mentioned something I, I'd like to highlight and unpack this a little bit more. If you could, you mentioned, uh, you try and identify the best, content creators. And uh, you mentioned something right after is, can they speak question mark? Uh, what are some, some other parameters that you look for? Obviously that's really important, but uh, if you were to uh, explain, not just the philosophy, maybe the systematic process with yeah. how do you identify this creator is a fit, this creator is not a fit. Um, how do you go about approaching that? Yeah, I would, I would break it down into just qualitative metrics and quantitative, quantitative metrics. Um, Sure, we have a software that we're able to identify audience match and all the like hard data. But in terms of qualitative metrics, yeah, what I mean by can they speak? Basically, can they sell product? Like if if my product is amazing and I'm confident in that and and it's going to provide them value and they're going to be excited about it, they're a fit, um, then I want to see can they like what does their YouTube look like? Do they have a great bubbly personality? Um, can they speak confidently? Are they not boring when you watch them? Like just put your put yourself in the in the customer's point of view. If you saw it on your feed, would you thumb stop and watch this ad? So some of those things are just easy things that you can identify in terms of on their Instagram highlights, on their YouTube channel. Um, Yes. Do they have a good brand aesthetic? Are they posting consistently? 
is their engagement rate somewhat there in terms of, um, you know, are they posting consistently? <laughs> Do they have a hundred thousand followers and only 50 likes? Like some of those things that you can be aware of in terms of fake followers, but in terms of qualitatively, those are the things that we're looking for. Um, and then there's certain ways that because, you know, things contractually that you can bake in like approval rights before they post, or, um, you have just approval on their content, then there's some ensuring quality because if you just send them their product and then they're going to post right away, um, you're, you're taking that risk, even if you are confident on the back end and you do your homework, but those are some of the things that we're looking for right up, right off the bat. Okay. That's, that's pretty massive. So th this is going to circle back to the creators that convert thing yeah. that you mentioned at the beginning, right? So th this is extremely hard to metricize, at least from the um, experiments that I've ran uh, with the imposters I've worked with. Um, how do you go yeah. about, how do you go about tracking these metrics, man? Because this is so yeah. abstract and there's so many touch points. <laughs> and um, I think it'd be fascinating to hear your take on how do you know if it's working? Yeah, that, to be honest, man, I honestly think, Mikhail, uh, my answer is probably going to bum you out, is our trackability is all found within Facebook. Um, so ads manager is just going to track all this for us. Um, so that's what I mean by like identifying creators that convert could be, because we're going to believe that we value them as a creator first, much more than a distributor. So we're going to actually value their professional creation of the content. And then believe that we can distribute this content better and to more places than they can. Um, and so because you, the brand, have seven, you know, at least three different places that you can place this content with email, on your website, uh, Facebook ads, if yeah, which I hope you're running. Um, and then there's additional ones like when you're running omni-channel channel campaigns. But... Yeah, you have more places than just the Instagram feed or just the TikTok channel, um, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we just believe that we can distribute it much more into better places than they can. And so that, and primarily what I mean by that is just within Facebook Ads Manager, that's where we see we get this con content implemented and then we're just tracking um, through the metrics of Ads Manager. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you go ahead, you hunt down an influencer that uh, yeah. is re related, right? And then you utilize the content. Um, do you ever run into any, any contractual issues as far as being able to use their content for ads? Or is that pretty clear upfront? Hey, we will be, you know, using yeah, this uh, for advertising. Yeah, that's in the contract. And it's something that we definitely communicate. Um, just, you know, and even within the deliverables, influencers are getting pretty savvy as far as like, Hey, you're asking for four pieces of content, but I'm only posting one. What are you doing with the others? And so those are, those are things that we're very upfront with um, and we pay them accordingly. Uh, and so that's where we want to see it. And just because to touch on kind of your last question is just the organic side of things, even at a macro level, it's just not what it used to be. And so we're just really trying to steer away from that, or we just believe that it's kind of the bonus of it all. Um, you know, if it hits, it hits, that's awesome. If it doesn't, it's just the way that the algorithm's working these days. Um, it's just harder and harder to win organically. Like, and what I mean by that, just even break it down, is just them posting organically and expecting a ton of ROI from it. Um, you know, because I, I think that's where your your question somewhat comes from. Is just how do you track this? Like, how how am I really seeing if this works or not? Yeah, because if you're if you're doing taking the um, content and then poking that out as uh, a Ad creative, right? Which makes a lot of sense. And uh, I yeah. highly recommend those of you guys that are listening that maybe have a, um, you know, I've got a mentoring student that has a, a clothing line. Uh, and, you know, this was my recommendation for him is he's a, he, he has a clothing line in, in the farm niche, in the mm. farm niche. So it's, <laughs> a, it's not a very uh, broad, you know, it's, right, it's, right. it's broad, but also niche. And uh, it's in a space where nobody's oh, really doing that. Right. So, you know, what he's doing is he's, uh, he's getting top people on his podcast, which again, podcast is a great networking uh, hack, right? For those of you guys that are listening, yeah. get one up that it will, it will give you instant access to all the industry leaders. And then um, that's what he's doing. He's running uh, those, uh, you know, podcast rehashers, sending them um, his merch, having them create yeah. videos, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, super powerful stuff, man. Uh, so let's maybe pivot over to you know, uh, tools, right? So you mentioned you have tools, you mentioned you do most of it in Facebook. Um, what are maybe some of the other tools that let's say there's a guy listening, he has an e-com brand, 
Yeah. They doing, you know, whatever, 50 to hundred K a month and has mm-hmm. a, uh, a small budget, you know, 10, 15,000 to spend on, uh, influencers. Um, how could they validate whether or not, well, obviously step one, uh, work with Cody, duh. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, if, well, if they, if they were to try and do it themselves, how would they go about that? Yeah. I mean, I get that question a lot. It's just like, how do I start? How do I break in? Cause I think influencer marketing is the, is the sexy channel that everybody wants to do, but no one has time for, but they try anyway. Um, and it's something where it's like, for some reason or another, they think it's going to be this like hit the lottery type of channel for them. Whereas, and they don't put much effort into it because they don't, they realize very quickly it takes a ton of time. And so they pay one influencer to post and expect all these sales come in and it doesn't work. And it's very similar to if you just tried one email campaign or if you just ran Facebook ads for a couple of weeks and just said, Oh, F it. Like Facebook ads doesn't work. You have to put in like the resources, the time, the investment. It's just like any other marketing channel. Um, but what I would say, I would go back to product seeding. I would start getting your product out there to just like that, that guy that you're mentoring, right? Like he's getting his product out there to podcast hosts within his industry and he's providing the value, um, giving them the product because it fits within their product and he thinks it'll provide them value. Um, and he's starting to see success. Um, we, we did, I did a teaching on at Shopify, uh, probably last year we had a, not even a client, but someone that just reached out to me after, um, the in-person sadly, that's not a reality anymore, but it was a, it was a growth lab. And he had reached out basically saying that like product seeding has changed the way his business success. Um, it grew because of, you know, he sent people to, he sent his, Puzzles. His his company was a micro puzzle um, that exploded during COVID. Um, little puzzles that you can build at home, and uh, he was sending it to KTLA and all these different things, and it got picked up. And so, all that to say is, I would definitely recommend starting with that. Even if your MSRP product is you know eight hundred dollars, if you can just send one a month because it's a high cog product. Um, still do that. If it's one a quarter, I would just still try to think of getting your product out there. And then use some of that budget to contract with influencers where you can repurpose this content um, into other places such as Facebook ads. I would, I would definitely start to implement that. Um, so those are some of the two things that I think are incredibly valuable. Um, yes, organic can happen. Yes, you can do affiliate programs. Um, again, like those things, I think people try and and fail or they don't see the instant success like such as a gym shark that really exploded through affiliate because they think it's just oh i just set up you know an app and watch all these sales come in again like it just takes a ton of effort whatever you do you got to put in those to the effort but I, w- I would say those two things are one of the things that i'm thinking of right off the bat for people that want to start and get into influencer marketing Got it. That's, that's pretty sweet, man. Um, yeah, uh, the ROAS is, is huge. Um, I'll give a story of, of I'm not going to name the brand, but we have a brand that we work with in the music production space. And yeah. uh, they've gotten to 600 to 1 million per month uh, wow. just by using a, a similar, uh, I'm not going to reveal the full strategy, but a similar strategy because <laughs> uh, they are a client. So, um, yeah. so really, really powerful stuff on the ROAS for those of you that are listening and thinking, oh, that's cute or cool, you know, well, that's great, but, um, there's great ROAS in this. Uh, let's maybe unpack. So at Kinship, um, what's the vision behind the company and what are your ideal clients? Just so we can kind of plant that seed really quickly. And then I want to circle back to some more, uh, practical concepts in a sec, but maybe, uh, let's talk about that. You, you know, what was the, the vision behind the company, the idea behind it? And then, uh, what's your, you know, ideal magic wand, uh, client that you work with and, what are the things that you hope to be able to achieve um, for them? Yeah. Um, the reason for starting Kinship was a, a lot went back to just seeing the current market and how um, a lot of the industry was very transactional, uh, very exploitive, um, and really just trying to create something that was different in terms of providing people value, um, really going a long way. And, doing, you know, cause we, we say all the time we're judged on ROAS, not likes, or we're judged on sales, not likes, um, as an agency. But at the same time, we also really believe in product seeding that creates a community. But the reality is that we're trying to deliver a philosophy and strategy that they can take 
long after our contract with them is over. Um, and these relationships should exist long after our contract with them is over. So it's not really about, yes, our services, but we're really trying to educate them so that they can, they can do it in-house. Um, and I think that's just different than the rest of the industry. The rest of the industry either represents talent or they just say, hey, we're going to find the best people. You don't have approval on them. Um, you know, do this X, Y, and Z, or they're, it's a race to the bottom in terms of, you know, how low they can go on price and how much they can guarantee impressions and all that stuff. But, you know, when I talk to entrepreneurs and other brand leaders, they're, you know, or they're raising money and they're talking to investors, like they want to see ROI. They want to see sales. Um, some of the stuff can't be tracked necessarily immediately, like, you know, product seeding. But within, you know, influencer content, it definitely can. And so circling back to kinship, we just, our why statement is to create belonging so that each story is celebrated. And so we're trying to do that um, through our clients. We use table language. We, we call our, our clients seats at the table because um, we just really believe in the power of the table to, that exists uh, to create belonging. And then we're celebrating stories. We're celebrating wins. Um, and we're doing that practically within the walls of our company, but also externally. Um, being able to partner with different nonprofit organizations that are helping out people struggling with homelessness and um, celebrating their story because their story is, you know, oftentimes very rough and a hard background, but something that they're trying to get out of. Um, so those are some of the things that we're really trying to go deeper um, within the industry and do something different, not only from our philosophy and strategy that it does. An ideal client, um, I would say 2 million plus or more. Uh, in terms of top line revenue, um, but and specific industry, I don't think there's a specific industry necessarily. Uh, I think influencer marketing applies to every industry. There's always at least one influencer within each industry. Um, but you know, a lot of times that the ones that are really successful are apparel or pets um, or makeup, cosmetics, health and fitness. You know, we have a lot of clients within those realms. Um, but that shouldn't skew anybody away from doing influencer marketing. It's just like any other channel that I think applies to their business. That's pretty cool, man. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, can you maybe break down some of the funnels that you're seeing really work? So there's uh, the, you know, have XYZ influencer do post send yeah. to send to thingy, right? Whether that's email or lead magnet or straight to product. Um, you've already kind of hinted that that does not work super well. Uh, and then you've also hinted that having them create content and putting that out through Facebook works pretty well. Um, how are you going about structuring the flow of that? And, um, and just to unpack that a little further for context, uh, for example, are you just, um, you know, having LeBron or whoever create the video and then you're running straight to product page, or is there some indoctrination process? And if so, what does that look like? Yeah. Uh, I mean, on your, on your last point, landing pages are extremely, extremely helpful. Um, especially custom influencer landing pages that go from, you know, to use the LeBron example where it's like a LeBron piece of content, maybe it's served from his actual handle, which is commonly called whitelisting. And then, you know, when they click learn more or buy now or shop now, they're going to write to a LeBron's favorite page. Um, or LeBron's favorites. We do that all the time at Kalo and we're doing that all the time. We're, we're not building those custom landing pages that's outside of our wheelhouse, but I would strongly recommend, we always do recommend doing that. Um, but process from start to finish really is we're outreaching, contracting. Um, there are some, we're getting them the product. Ideally, if they already have the product, um, it's one step ahead through product seeding. Um, but then they're creating content once they submit content, the brand has approval. Once it's approved, um, it goes right into, you know, the brand has the right to start manipulating that and getting that um, right into your ad account. And then the influencer on our side is just them posting. And we say all the time, that's kind of just the cherry on top. What most of the time we're doing is just Instagram stories. A couple of reasons for that. We just view it as it's easier for their audience, meaning the influencer's audience to get to your website. Um, through the swipe up feature. Um, so we're working with influencers above 10,000 in order to have that swipe up feature. And that swipe up is going to a custom landing page or just their um, PDP page of that specific product. Um, and we're tracking that through Google Analytics. Um, like I said, that's kind of the bonus of it all. The real meat and potatoes of all this is the content that's getting live into that account. And then we're just tracking that 
um, through our cost, our, you know, our structure, the way that we structure ad accounts, but, um, you know, we're looking at ROAS obviously at the end of the day, that's what we want to see. And that's what brands want to see. Yeah, that's powerful. Um, really cool stuff. Uh, let's, okay. So I'm going to ask a question. Feel free to dodge this question. Uh, or <laughs> say say it in a circumvented well, way. Well, Mikhail, you keep saying this this cool stuff. You're just really pumping me up. I love it. Well, this is good. You know, man, this this influencer space. Um, there's such a requirement for context. You're, you, if you're seeing, I'm asking a lot of kind of like macro micro overlap questions, right? Because the average uh, person that's listening to this podcast, they have their their product, their digital or their physical product. And, or maybe they, right. you know, if you haven't started yet, um, do that. But you know, those, those of you guys that are smart, uh, you have your product up and you're looking and, and you, you know, you can go and you can build a spreadsheet of influencers, right? And they're okay. Right. Cool. I have a, you know, a, a, uh, an elastic band or uh, yeah. iPhone case, you, you name it, you name the thing. Yeah. But then I think they get stuck on what do I do next? Do I just cold email? Do I DM? Do I yeah. send them like a voice memo? Um, so how did he go about that first contact point on outreach? Yeah, I would, uh, I would recommend a DM. Um, I always just think that in terms of if you're going just straight cold, I definitely recommend a DM. I think, um, people are like, even just the, the psychology of how Instagram works, right? Like you see that little one, um, exist or how many, many unread messages that you have in your messaging inbox. I think it's just powerful. People are used to, looking over emails. Um, you know, I see a lot of my friends have thousands of emails unread, which I don't understand. I'm not that type of person, but, uh, yeah, the DM is definitely just a easier way to get a hold of influencers at really any level. Um, and that, and I would definitely start with just get, again, like, I feel like I'm just <laughs> playing symbol, but, uh, just getting them of your product, starting, starting palms down, providing them value, start with product seating and go from there as it materializes. But I would definitely start with the DM, use that phrase, no strings attached, um, in terms of creating that relationship on giving, not asking. And as it materializes, as they, you know, provide feedback, you know, maybe they shout you out, you know, maybe they post organically without you even asking. Um, you know, that's definitely a telltale that they really like the product or maybe they show you DM back and are asking for more. Like that's another telltale. And then you ask for that second date, you know, or, you get the more product and, or maybe you say, Hey, like we have an affiliate program or maybe you take that process. Even maybe they're a larger tier influencer and you want to actually just skip right to, Hey, we'd love to officially work with you on an official capacity. Um, you know, do you have a manager? Do you have an agent? Like taking those progressions, which is, it sounds obvious to me, but it's, it's probably amazing to other people just because they do get trifold where it's like, are they really going to respond? What do I say? All that stuff. I, I would say, keep it simple. Um, just treat this human being like any other human being that you're wanting to get in touch with. So those are some of the just practical steps that I would, I would advise. Cool. Killer. Killer. Um, so I'm going to circle back to the, the, the question that I said you can dodge because that wasn't it. Um, the, so, so the, the question that you could dodge is actually around deal structure. So, um, yeah. you and, and again, feel free to um, navigate this however you are comfortable with with NDAs and everything. Yeah. I'm I'm familiar with that. Um, but when you, when it comes to say, you know, do you pay them um, a one off? Um, do you pay them a percentage? of profit after you know your ROAS is recouped on the ad. What are the most common deal structures that have been proven to incentivize influencers to want to engage and to want to create? Uh, and this is the emphasis on this great content because I see this time yeah. and time again where brands will reach out and you'll see these implemented, they're really just doing a half-ass job of creating the yeah. stuff. Um, yep. So how do you go about deal structure that's truly incentivized uh, and works? Yeah, most of the time, uh we're just doing one-off deals with these influencers. Um, you, now, of course, like we, like a, as a reminder, we don't have a, a roster of people. So, but that doesn't mean that we don't have consistent people that we're constantly outreaching to. There's several influencers that are completely okay with one-off all the time. Um, they like working with a variety of brands. They like the fact that we're not asking them to post very much and, or if it is a post, it's just an Instagram story. So they're, they're not like blowing up their feed with all these different brand deals. Um, and they're, they are definitely aware that it's, uh, their content is being repurposed. Um, 
And then you have the other extreme where it's like, they are extremely difficult to work with. They don't want their content to be repurposed, but our, our responsibility to the brands is to get this content repurposed. So that's where it's something where it's kind of tricky um, in terms of an agency representing a client. But like if you're a brand and you're doing this in-house, then you might be comfortable with that. And, you know, I get those questions again with rev share deals or brand equity deals. Um, Brand equity obviously is is a big one, but rev share, I would be totally open to, I just, I, we don't do it very much. Um, but if I was a brand, I would definitely start with, I would never just jump into a rev share deal. I would love to, or, but if you are going to trying to get out of an upfront fee and just believing that, you know, Hey, we're going to pay you 15% of every sale that comes in. Um, like that's a, that's a common one. Um, but if, if it were me and I was running my own brand, I would definitely want to test that first, like maybe through a one-off post or getting their content within that account and seeing how it performs and then going to, you know, a rep share. Um, we've done deals before with influencers that are, um, or really with the brand is we're delivering influencer content and it's just to beat a CPA target. And we, we get paid and the influencer get paid based on the difference. So if the CPA is 25 and, um, we're looking to achieve a 20 um, and we get a 15, like that we're going to take uh, a $5 difference there. And then we're going to split that 250 um, between us and the influencer. So we've done some of those things before. Um, so again, there's, there's a slight delineation between like the influencers we're contracting within kinship as an agency on behalf of a client. But then there's also, if you're a brand and you're just negotiating with these influencers up front, there obviously is more flexibility just because at Kinship at the end of the day, we're, we're promising um, brand ownership uh, of the content. So. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, yeah, no, it, it answered it perfectly. See, for, for you, it's so obvious, these little nuances, right? But for someone who's just doing it, just getting the context is, is huge. Um, yeah. Because again, the last, yeah, the last thing you want to do, you know, let's say you have a couple thousand bucks, sorry to interrupt there. Um, but let's say you have a, you know, $2,000, right. You're a totally new brand. You you only have the 2000 bucks, you know, yeah, you can put it towards, um, only so many things. And so if they're deciding to go ahead and put that in towards influencers, uh, I want to make sure that the guys that are listening are doing it in the uh, most optimal way possible. Um, as I'm sure. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, there's a lot of mistakes out there and there is a lot of uh, people are just throwing stuff on the wall and hoping that it works. Um, I certainly did that back in the day, you know, and it's, it's really hard, especially when like organic is, can be the main focus and it still is the main focus, but luckily there, it seems to be a trend that is going the way that I would love to see it go, which is like more focus on the content, more focus on, especially as like potential of TikTok going away or now it's coming back and like all these different things. Um, or likes being taken away from Instagram. And there's all this hoopla around that. Uh, for us, it doesn't really change anything because our focus should be, if they got rid of follower count, likes, every vanity metric out there, it wouldn't change anything because we're really looking at qualitative metrics much more than you know those vanity metrics that people really overhype. Huge, huge. Yeah. Um, okay. So there's, there's, I mean, there's a ton more we can unpack. Um, let's talk about... Let's talk about ROI for a sec. I think that's important. Yeah. Uh, what are some high, can you throw out some hypothetical ROI numbers from, you know, however you can do it from previous campaigns without naming names, uh, well, you know, in a way that makes you comfortable. Um, when, yeah. done, when done right, what does this look like? Basically, I guess that's a question. Yeah. Are you asking in terms of like what to expected ROAS? Yeah. So, um, I'll give you, I'll give you, um, a hypothetical here. So, uh, let's say I am a brand, um, similar to, um, the, the wedding band brand, right? Yeah, so yeah. let's say, let's say I have a cool bracelet thing that's, that's right. usable, right? Whatever. Um, a smart, let's say, let's call it a smart bracelet. Okay. Just as a total hypothetical. So let's say I have a smart bracelet and, uh, it works similar to, let's say it's a whoop, right? You're, you know what the whoop is, correct? Yeah. 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 So let's say I have a whoop 2.0 that does something different. Right. Um, and let's say I have, you know, a hundred thousand or so to spend on influencer marketing. Um, can you maybe break down, like, how would you go about, uh, finding influencers, breaking that down, delineating ad spend? And then what are the metrics that you're looking at that say, 
okay, this is great. Okay, okay, are we looking at you know obviously um, like two to one ROAS, four to one ROAS, eight to one yeah. ROAS? You know what what are the what are the the milestones if you will yeah, yeah, that you yeah. look for? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, first off, whatever you're investing, a general rule is whatever you're investing in influence marketing, you want to spend two to three times that um, on within the Facebook ad account. So if I'm spending $1, I want to spend at least two to $3 within Facebook ad account in terms of using that content and repurposing it. Um, that's just a general rule. So like if you have 100K, um, you want to be able to... And if all of that was put into influencer content, that's a lot. But hypothetically, let's say all of that was put into get generating influencer content for you to repurpose into the ad account, we'd want to be spending 400 or three, two to 300 uh, K behind that piece of content. So that's kind of one thing to look for. In terms of lift and performance, we at Kinship always say that we are gonna, you're going to expect a, on average a 15% lift in performance. Now that could be just a, like a CPA decrease, um, that could be a ROAS increase. Um, just performance-wise, you're seeing these metrics bump up, but we're never like promising an exact ROAS target because it's all obviously dependent on when you got started, um, how much you're spending, all these things. But I mean, as long as we're hitting performance, whatever you know your target metric is based on your uh, COGS percentage, based on your CPA target. Um, we're identifying a target ROAS. And then as long as we're beating that, you know, spend a billion dollars next month, you know, you take the cap off as long as you're winning at the end of the day. So I know that's not like this, the specific answer you're necessarily looking for. We've seen campaigns, you know, with a apparel brand, for instance, where we ran Q4 of last year, um, where we had every, that funnel that I talked about earlier is where we had, we worked with 20 micro influencers they produced, uh, they were contracted for one piece of content. Mind you, they delivered 72 pieces of content. So we're seeing this a lot too, as micro influencers. When I say micro, I say 10 to hundred K follower count. That's how we define it. Um, they're oftentimes over delivering what they're contracted for. Um, that could be based on the product that could be based on the brand, uh, that they're excited for, but they produce 72 pieces of content that that brand now has ownership rights to use. We worked with 20 micro influencers that scaled to one um, mid-tier type of influencer. She had like, I, I think around 400,000 followers. Um, she produced content as well. And then when they clicked shop now, that went to a custom, um, her name was Mallory. I won't give the last name, but her Mallory Blanks, uh, you know, favorites. And um, that achieved a four ROAS. So we've seen definitely campaigns obviously like go through the roof with certain things. And then we've seen campaigns that are going from a one to a 1.5. Um, and that's great because we, we basically want to, we're, we're competing against the rest of the ad account in terms of creative. Um, and so that's the cool thing about working with influencers such as this is we just view them as the, the best creators comparatively to a UGC type video that you got from a customer. Um, you know, they're doing this as, you know, sometimes their full-time gig, um, you know, they're, they created a YouTube channel three years ago and they've been producing content and now it's just starting to gain traction. Um, so these people are really professionals at creating content and that's why we believe it's even better than UGC, um, as well. And so we're competing against those, those things within the ad account. And we just want to see a lift in performance. Um, and that's what we're really basically saying, and we're guaranteeing, uh, we just don't have specific metrics, but I hope that was a good enough answer, Mikhail. No, there's, there's some great specifics there. So I'll, I'll kind of recap. Um, so one is the spend ratio. Okay. I think that's huge is rather than thinking, okay, I'm going to pay Susie $300 to post about my product. What you really should be doing is paying Susie $200 to post about your product and then spending $800 to use Susie's content to promote your product. Uh, to a particular audience. And I'll have an audience question for you in a sec. So that's one is the spend yeah. ratio. Uh, two, I think is great is if an influencer is, you know, above that 100K mark doing the custom landed, landers. Uh, yeah. the, the master of this is Tim Ferriss. Obviously, every time Tim Ferriss does any sort of 
uh, promo. He always has a slash Tim. Uh, they always do a custom lander for him. And that makes yeah. uh, um, the listeners feel really welcome. And, and it's a nice, warm, fuzzy, hot cocoa kind of feeling, uh, if you will. Uh, so that's good. Just make and, it, making yes as easy as possible. That would be my making make, the, the purchase as easy as possible. Absolutely. And then uh, get the eyeballs and social proof uh, from these influencers in your space. Um, so last question, I think, on the, the technical stuff I, is... How do you go about the audience builds on this type of stuff? Um, so the example here would be if you if you have a take a wedding band and you're using uh, someone like LeBron, someone like Stephen Curry, are you then building a sports driven audience? Uh, obviously, you have I'm sure the capacity to target their pages um, depending on the contract. I understand that part, but as far as let's say outside of the scope of that, um, how do you go about getting that content in front of the right people to maximize the probability of conversion? Yeah. Are you specifically asking within Facebook ads manager? Like, uh, Yeah, correct. I, I mean, obviously, so, so do you go ahead and do you adjust your campaign to say, Hey, let me switch my interests over to sports-based interests because I have a sports driven creative, um, or are you approaching it some other more unique way? Yeah. I mean, I definitely, you could create the, that's the advantage of, you could be looking at, um, what's commonly called influencer whitelisting or ad access is comparatively comparing that to, their organic audience. So let's say an influencer has 300,000 followers, right? You know, if you break that down in terms of impressions of people that are actually seeing that organic post, maybe it's 10%. Um, and then you actually break down the engagement rate, maybe it's, you know, one to 3%. So that's 3000 likes, uh, 30,000 impressions. Um, but with Facebook ads manager, you're able to, um, especially if you got advertiser access, you're able to actually, at a frequency, frequency meaning how many times this ad sees the amount of people that you have in that audience, you have the flexibility to say at least once. So that that post will actually go to every single person of that audience, comparatively to just 10% or 1%. Um, but you can make that frequency four if you wanted to. You could hit every person four times. Um, so that, those are some of the things that you can do with uh, advertiser access with, uh, with an influencer. And that's something we do all the time. It, sometimes people think again, it's like the new sexy thing that, Oh, this is going to like unlock everything. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't, but what you're trying to do is just the, the audience is really the, the main value out of that is the influencer's audience. And then you can build lookalikes off of it as well. Um, for the lifetime of the ad account, which is a huge, huge bonus. Yeah. That's the jam. Um, Super sick, man. I mean, there's a lot more tactical stuff. I'm sure we could unpack. Right. Uh, let me circle over to you. Are there any topics that you would want to maybe cover um, that you maybe have on your mind or things that you want to add or something that you want to freestyle on? Um, no, not, I mean, yeah, again, I, I just love doing stuff like this. So I just love talking chop. So wherever you want to take it. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we could keep going. Uh, what I'd like to do is actually kind of maybe circle back to kind of a more, you know, I think anybody who's a great marketer, there's, um, there's a journey there. There's a process there. And so, yeah. uh, let's maybe take it back in time. Actually. Uh, I asked this question quite a bit and I'm going to ask it of you as well. Cody, what is your earliest memory? <laughs> earliest memory. Yeah. Oh man, I actually did a timeline of my life uh, last year. I'm trying to think what I first thought of. Yeah, it's, it's actually interesting um, doing that exercise because I realized something about myself that my early childhood, I didn't write a lot of stuff down. Like when I was actually writing the timeline of my life, um, sports were a big part of my history. So I, I think I wrote down like one of the first memories is just my first basketball team when I was like five. Um, but related to that, for some reason, you're going to laugh at this, but I was always more of the, the heartfelt kid. Uh, but I remember going back to my kindergarten class and like getting emotional because I had already graduated from kindergarten and looking at my kindergarten class and like crying about all the memories. <laughs> um, but uh, so that's like another another funny memory that I have from my early childhood. That's actually really funny. That kind of triggers back to the lead with value, desire to help people, empath spectrum. Yeah. 
type of, uh, type of conversation, which I'm there sure. There you I'm, go. You spun it the right way. No, for sure. For sure, man. Um, well there, there's, you know, there really is a fascinating, um, psychological tendency in business where as an empath or someone who aims to help, um, on one side of the fence is a lot easier, I think, to conduct yeah. business because you're, you're, it's, it's, you come off as a lot more authentic. Um, certain things are just easier, like building a, a real long lasting, um, connection, but also, uh, the downside of that is often you get kind of crushed by the the narcissist psych, uh, psychopath spectrum that just yeah. they're just like brutally outcompetes you. Um, yeah. Can you maybe talk to you know the things that you're seeing as you're starting your new agency? What are the things you're excited about? What are the things that you guys are doing um, different? Maybe highlight those things again. I know you mentioned them, but maybe highlight those things again um, and just give a clear a clear path for people if they want to work with you, if they're interested, they have a brand, they want to contact influencers, they want to take a crack at this. Um, kind of tie it all together if you could. I I, I want you to repeat the beginning of that question because you I, I'm co- I'm confident of what you just said about the <laughs> sure influencer, uh, uh, <laughs> but it was kind of long winded there. So yeah, yeah, was, no problem. Um, so uh, empath psychopathy spectrum was was one of you know how do you approach business as mm-hmm. an empath and push yourself competitively without overextending and violating boundaries and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then how that translates into what you guys do over a kinship and uh, maybe re-highlight how people can work with you and what you guys are different. Something. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how you, you bring up like the, the relationship connection because it's like even your comment on my earliest memory. Um, because I, I would, I would not say like nurturing or like really taking care of our clients is like one of my personal strong suits. I think early on, like in the conversation with the customer or with the client, it is, um, but I'm actually very quick to just roll into, okay, how do we get more and how do those sorts of things. So that's something that we're, we constantly try to build teams um, because of my weaknesses there. Um, so it's interesting, like you bring that up without like building a relationship without overextending boundaries. Cause I think my natural thing is just having an athlete background is to compete and is to just grind. Um, but oftentimes like that heart thing, you know, <laughs> that heart thing is, uh, is not often there in terms of my, you know, own personal equity, but, um, sorry, that was a, a bit of a side tangent. That's um, good. Yeah. But so I, I would say just in terms of our first couple years of kinship, like I would, for how I'm interpreting your question too, is just like for early entrepreneurs, I would just say a team is super important. Um, who you partner with will make or break you. So I have an awesome, awesome business partner um, that he has strengths that are different than mine. Um, I have strengths that are different than his. It's a really good relationship and that is just super, super important. So that that's internally, but also just externally, like who you partner with in terms of clients can, can really be, uh, like pulling you down or, or really pushing you up as, you know, as an agency specifically, or just anybody they're working with consistently. Um, but side back into to kinship are our, our three things that we really believe a blueprint for success is product seeding influencer content. And all both of those things flow really nicely into paid media. Um, and we do those three really, really well. Um, Specifically with product seeding, we're doing that different than the rest of the industry. A lot of gifting campaigns are opt-in programs where they require you to post. Um, We have a different approach and we're really trying to set the brand up for long-term success, long-term ROI, where the relationships are are built long-term. And there's a compounding value there with the the content it produces over time, um, the eventual sales that it produces over time, because it's just a breeding ground to other things that you can expound upon within influencer marketing, such as affiliate programs, like the way that we like to think is within influencer content. And then getting that content into Facebook paid media, um, is just something that we want to track success with, excuse me, primarily. So that's kinship. If you want to work with us, um, you can connect with, with me personally, um, on Instagram and Twitter, I'm active on those. Um, and our, our website is kinship.co, um, K Y N S H I P.co. And yeah, we, we're, we're working with, um, or we're pr- currently producing an influencer marketing course. Um, so I'm very excited about that and that should be launched within the next month or so. And that's, that should be for clients that are sub 2 million and, 
um, top line revenue per year. Um, but we could definitely work together above that mark. Um, so I probably said too much there, Mikhail, but no, that's groovy, man. <laughs> that, that, that's, um, that's a jam. Uh, that's a jam. Uh, we're, we're coming up on time here. So I guess a couple, yeah. couple, couple more, 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 more fun questions. Um, coffee or tea? Coffee. Coffee. Nice. All right. Kick ass. 100%. Um, yeah. Favorite animal and why? Boom. Favorite animal. I would say Eagle. Okay. Well, why, why Eagle though? Uh, just, I would say <laughs> <laughs> the Eagle is just specifically like the bald Eagle is just something that it's an intimidating and huge bird. As far as I'm understanding, I don't know a ton about them, but it just has always struck me as just like this beautiful, but also intimidating, like fierce thing that could fly super fast, catch anything. Um, yeah, there's just something about that bird that really is attractive to me. Kick ass, kick ass. Um, any new recent cool takeaways, AKA podcasts you're listening to products you love books, you're reading, um, anything like that. Yeah. Um, I'm reading uh, one of the business books I'm reading right now is the challenger sale, which I think has been around for some time. Um, that's definitely incredible for agencies or really anybody in sales. Um, and especially as being like a founder, uh, of a company, you're always in sales. And, um, that just really talks about teaching, tailoring and taking control of the customer conversation. Um, I'm reaching, I'm reading, I'm forgetting the name of the book, but it was recommended on the Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, and it's about the early United States with, um, Indians, the Comanches versus kind of like the, the Western frontier as the United States wanted to advance West and the battle there and Comanches put up like a 40 year fight and just, it's about their tribe. And it's really interesting, um, learning about the, the, our original <laughs> settlers, um, so that, those are is that Empire of the Summer Moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There yeah. you go. Yep. Have you read that? I have not read it, but I have it. It is sitting as as one of many books on my lovely bookshelf of things I need yeah. to get to. Phenomenal yeah. read. Yeah, phenomenal. What are you reading right now, Mikhail? What am I reading? So I am actually reading a lot of gut health type of stuff. Um, a lot of gut health and a lot of. Um, a lot of optimal peak performance because I'm here in Los Angeles and yeah. our gyms have been shut down since February. So it's been a year almost without a gym, which, um, for a peak performer is very, uh, disorienting because I, yeah. you know, I can't trigger the usual, uh, the usual chemicals, right. That you'd be used to, uh, the endorphins aren't there. Right. So I'm looking at ways to replicate that. Um, you know, I'm always circling back to a few specifics, right. The, the startup owner's manual by Steve blank is, um, mm just, just, uh, time and time again, principles time and time again. Um, what, what is another good one that I read recently? Um, outwitting the devil by Napoleon Hill. Hmm. Yeah. That was uh, unique and interesting. Um, so going, going, I'm going into like second and third order, uh, books of a lot of these authors where they have a really popular first book, right. They can grow rich. Um, and I'm looking yeah. at the rest of their catalog. And I'm saying, what, what, what else is there? You know, wh what else has Zig Ziglar done? What else has Napoleon Hill done? What else has, uh, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, right? So I like that. Yeah. It ends up, it ends up giving you uh, extra context and stuff like that. So, so I found those to be really useful. Um, and, uh, podcast wise, the, the recent, uh, Tim Ferriss one with the founder of, uh, Spotify, I found that one to be very, very Ooh. insightful on leadership. Yeah, that was really great. Highly recommend that. Let me recommend other podcasts besides my own podcast on my podcast. Uh, so that's quite <laughs> lovely. Um, I'm just listening to one last one. I'm currently, just because Joe Rogan is so long, but listening to the CEO of Whole Foods on his podcast that was on recently, probably within the last month, but I don't have three and a half hours in my day to listen to a whole Joe Rogan podcast, but I like to pick and choose times where I can... <laughs> Where I can learn some stuff, but that was an interesting one. I, I really, I've never heard the CEO, I'm forgetting his name. Um, John McKay, I think of whole foods. Uh, that's, he's got some good stuff in there. Yeah, man. Anyone over a billion dollars is uh, right. a really fascinating category of human, um, 
you know, I have this discussion a lot of, do you need to sacrifice other areas of your life to attain this, this insane level of, of financial? And I'm seeing uh, very mixed information from, from different sources. Some, some sources say, you, you know, you don't need to sacrifice any of your relationships or anything like that. And then yeah. uh, some of these other guys uh, are, yeah. are very much, nope, sacrifice everything, go at it and uh, do your absolute best. And uh, that way, if you fail, you know that you, nothing held you back. So um, that's, that's always a challenge that I face uh, personally. Yeah. So. I mean, their boundaries are so important, right? It's just kind of like, you can't, you can't operate with, without them. You, are you they, gotta be able to, are they though? That's the question. Like when it comes to crushing it in business, are they re- like that? That's the challenging question, mm-hmm. right? Do you have the, or do you just crush it in business and then figure the rest of it out? And and I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of oscillate between boundaries are really important and you should have balance and forget everything. I'm just going to crush this one thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, you know, well, I guess I would say, I would say to, at least for me and what I've learned is just like, maybe not in terms of what you're, what I was getting from you is just more so like the hours that you're putting in and like doing all those sorts of things, which I, on one hand, for sure agree. Like you got to be able to just grind on the other hand though. It's like, there's, there's certain habits and things and life-giving activities that you got to be able to carve out for yourself. Otherwise you'll just get burned out. Um, so I think that's the balance. Like you're, you're talking about, you hear <laughs> different sides of the spectrum all the time where it's like the, the entrepreneur culture and what gets talked about is, you know, you, you can't sleep. Um, you can't work out, you do all these things, but I've found that creating space for those things helps me be a better entrepreneur at the end of the day, like eating healthy and turning my phone off on Sundays or doing CrossFit and carving time out for that is and definitely makes me a better business owner. hundred percent. Yeah. I, def- I definitely agree with that. Although there is this weird component and uh, we'll wrap it in a minute here. I think it's a good little, you know, uh, outro philosophical segment for the, those are the guys that are listening that are like, I'm going completely insane. Um, <laughs> there, there is this component, man, where it's like, do you go for the emotional breakdown? And then yeah. and like, uh, I found, you know, I've had a few of these. I've very, I've been very open on uh, this podcast and other podcasts about my, um, my stints with a uh, potential suicide, um, mm. due to overwork due to overwhelm. So mm. I'm very, I'm very open to that. That's an open book. Um, and what's fascinating is when you have one of those experiences where you've, yeah, I mean, you've pushed yourself beyond human capacity. I mean, to such a yeah. level that, you know, uh, the, the average person would have tapped out. It's almost like a sports athlete, right. uh, you know, GSP, uh, or any of these other top MMA guys. I mean, how many times have they had to do that, right. To get to their echelon. So, yeah. You know, to take Elon or any of, of the top business leaders. Uh, so there is like a deconstructive process that also happens when you push yourself beyond limit for a consistent period of time where yeah. old systems break. Um, and I, I am very, uh, very wary actually of uh, the question of if you don't continuously break those systems, can you be at your best optimal yeah. Um, yeah business leader self. And I don't know, I don't have the answer to that, but I think it's a fascinating question to ask. So it is, it is, it is entirely being yeah. your own critic and also self-evaluator constantly right. or not truly relying on past success. That doesn't always equal future success. Totally. Um, totally. I appreciate you sharing that too, because that's a huge part of my story actually. And I just posted about that on Instagram because I had 10 years, I celebrated a 10 year anniversary of me attempting suicide. Oh, wow. I'm very op- open about that as well. Um, so that's something that's, I mean, mental health is a, used to be taboo and I'm so glad it's not, um, anymore. And just the incredible need that you need to take care of, of yourself. Um, so, but I appreciate your transparency with that. Yeah, man. I'm uh, really glad that you're here and that we have the uh, privilege and pleasure of having this conversation. It's, it's great. Likewise. <sighs> Last question. Last one. And then we'll close it out. Um, I always say we all have the dark forest. So my belief is we wake up and we dance in the meadow, the sunny meadow of things we are familiar with things that we know we can handle more or less. There might be some challenges there, but uh, we mostly know we can handle those things. And yet off to the side, there is the dark forest at the end of which there is that crazy, scary idea that we kind of shove away. Sometimes we kind of go, "Uh Oh, I know I should be doing that and should be striving towards that, but it's a little too scary. Um, mm-hmm. often that's where the growth is often. That's where the exponential progress is. Uh, so what is your, 
uh, dark forest, AKA what is that thing you really want to achieve that kind of scares you that you're not fully confident that you'll be able to achieve it, but you're deciding to give it a shot. What does that look like? Hmm. What a great question. Great setup. Um, that's scary. I'm such a futuristic thinker too. It might be the fact that I have too many. Um, what, are, what are some of the other past answers that you've received? I'll give you mine. Um, I really freaking want to create a triple album. That's a rock album, a hip hop album, and an electronic album and release them as a trifecta. Uh, so 30 nice. plus songs. Yeah. And be able to tour that. And um, I'm having a, honestly, full transparency. I'm having a really hard time, really hard time mm-hmm. squeezing that in um, with all the obligations. And it is very much like a dark forest where I feel like I might never get to it. Um, I feel like I might die and not have done that. And that really scares the shit out of me. Uh, so there's mine. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have a, you have a history with music. Oh yeah, man. I'm, um, I have three associates degrees in, um, keyboard performance, audio engineering, post-production. I have a music studio here in LA. Um, it's amazing. Love it. Yeah. Congrats. Play everything except horns. So drum, bass, guitar, synths, produce, DJ, all that stuff. So thanks, man. Piano? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Piano, of course. Dude. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks, man. Very talented individual. Um, it's not about me. This podcast is about you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I just start, I, I start interviewing you. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> Part two, another hour and a half. Um, man, you really make me think. I would say one thing that's immediate, probably within the next year, um, that is sort of scary is I've always had a dream of moving internationally. Um, I don't feel like it's unattainable to where it's like in that dark forest where I can't ever get to it, but it is something that is scary that I've always had the dream to do um, to live internationally. Um, it could be just from my travels that I've just loved it, traveling the world that where it's like, man, I would love to just plant somewhere and have a wife. So there is that part of it where, um, you know, including her and making sure she's safe and everything is part of it, but that's come to mind, but I'll have to, I'll have to, uh, send you a voice memo on the Instagram DMS later on. If I think of a better one. Really, man. Yeah. Circle back. That's, that's, a, that's a cool one. I think there's something to it where you disrupt your environment and things are new. Language is new. Maybe you don't speak the language. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. And you go back to these basic, like what does human communication look like? What does my leadership within my company look like? And it really makes you reassess and redefine um, your role as a leader. So, um, and obviously as, as a husband and as a man and as a son and as eventually a father and da-da-da. <laughs> it's right, a long, right. long list of things. Right. Um, right. So, uh, super cool. Um, Cody, thank you so much for being here. Uh, as always, we will include all of the links, uh, provided down below in the description. Um, and, uh, the last takeaway, uh, the last little comment, if you were to leave the audience with this is if you were to snap your fingers, snap your fingers and the world looked a certain way. Um, what would the world look like? What would be better? What would be different? I'd love to see every single homeless person within a home um, taken care of. That would be a big one. Um, I would love to be able to uh, see, (laughs) it sounds so cliche, but just people have safe water, um, but which is a ginormous need. Um, And probably the biggest one that comes to mind is just human and sex trafficking. That is a sad reality in our world. Um, and so no more slavery, which is just a crazy statistic that there's more slaves today than there ever has been in history, which is a sad thing. So those are three things that, um, my heart kind of burns for. That I'd love to see if I could sign my fingers that that could change. So less suffering <laughs> overall, uh, if I could play God for a moment. That's a pretty, um, noble intention. Good. Thank you so much for being here, brother. Um, Sending you lots of love and thanks for being with us. It was an absolute pleasure and I'm extremely humbled and grateful to have you here. Um, Let's do it again soon. Mikhail, thank you so much. I'm glad you're here with us. Likewise. Thank you, brother.